0: Good morning, how are you? Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. In Matthew 5, we have what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the opening section, in verses uh, 3 through 10, or really 3 through 12, we have what are called the Beatitudes. And then verses 13 through 16, we have the Similitudes. Let's read these together. It says in verse 2 that Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when you are reviled and persecuted, and when men revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. in heaven. Here in this passage, Jesus strikes the perfect balance between the inner life and the outer life of the Christian. In verses 3 through 10, really, he talks about the character of his disciples, what his disciples are like. And what are they like? They are humble. They are poor in spirit. They mourn, meaning that they mourn for sin. They live a life of repentance. They're meek. They're merciful. They're pure in heart. They're peacemakers, and as their reward for that is, they get persecuted. Because they are so different from the world. And because his, his uh, followers have this character, they th- therefore have a certain calling. And that calling is, is uh, referred to here in verses 13 through 16, where Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus balances these two because they tend to get imbalanced. And it's very easy as Christians to focus on the inner life or to focus on Christian character or even Christian worship, Christian devotion, and separate that from how we're actually living out in the world or impacting the world. One author said this. This is a great quote. He said, "...the danger is always present that the worshiper, that's us, may become occupied with his own states and feelings and be content to have his emotions quickened and elevated in private prayer or in congregational worship while his will and behavior remain wholly uninfluenced. He goes on to say, it's essential to true worship that it should not become detached from practical responsibilities of life. Do you hear that? We can go to church and have an awesome worship service, but the real measure, or I should say, one of the measures of the true quality of that worship is how it then changes our life on Monday morning. He goes on to say, true worship is adoration issuing in action. Adoration, not for its own sake, but adoration that results in action. What transpires during a worship service on Sunday or private devotions is not ultimately an end in itself. It is a means by which we gain knowledge, we gain strength, we gain inspiration, if you will, to live a life of worship in the world. In other words, to be the salt and the light. Our worship should change our lives. Our worship should lead to a life in which we are impacting those around us because we are being salt and light. Well, what does that mean? Let's, let's uh, look at this briefly. First of all, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Many things can be deduced from this, but uh, the, one of the main points of the analogy of salt is this, and Alexander McLaren said this, he said, one of the chief lessons is that of our power, the Christian power, and therefore the obligation to arrest the corruption around us by our own purity. You know, when I I like salt. Does anybody here like salt? If you ever go to lunch with me, you're like, oh, dude. (laughs) Uh, You'll see, I like salt. I know it's not good for me. Jamie, I know. Um, but I, I, when I use salt, I'm using it for flavoring, and it does have that role. And even in Jesus' day, it had that role. But the primary role was a pres- it was a preservative. And and when you think of say, uh, and we still do that today, we use salt to pres- preserve meat or uh, you know we pickle things. Well, there's tons of salt in that. Because it's a preservative. It keeps things from getting corrupt. So when Jesus says that we are the salt of the world, he's saying that he intends for his church to impact society for good. And to have a a, a influence which halts the corruption, which is the natural fruit of sin. So instead of the church conforming to the world, the church should raise the moral standard. Raise the moral standard in society. And in a sense, the church should speak in such a way that we are the conscience of the nation. Why? Because we know the will of God through His Word. Now, here's the funny thing about salt. Um, When I I, uh, eat salt, what I don't do is I don't put it next to my food. I put it on the food. Put it on the food, right? It's not a decoration. I put it next. To- oh, look how nice that little pile of salt is. Or look at that pretty little salt shaker we got, little Christmas one. Give me the big one with the big holes on top, because I am going to pour it on my food. Because when I do that, it does its job well. Salt as a preservative doesn't work by even being near the meat. If salt was going to do its job of halting the, the decay of the meat, it had to be literally, and this is what they did, they smeared the salt on the meat. I could do a great demonstration. It would gross you out. But think of raw meat and think of a big slab of Salt. And think of rubbing them together. Better yet, soaking the meat in heavily concentrated salt water. That's how the salt does its job. In other words, in order for the salt to halt the corruption, the salt has to come into contact with that which might be rotting. Does anybody hear me? Yeah you must come into contact with the material that we are trying to preserve. Now, I don't know about you, but I see a lot of Christians running away. They run away from problems. They run away from the darkness. They run away from injustice. They run away from abortion. They run away From the homeless, they run away. There's a lot of reasons for that. But whatever they might be, what we need to understand is that when Jesus said we're the salt, He's saying just the opposite. We have to go into those places where there is corruption if we're going to halt it. Glad I got one amen. We cannot run away. Now, I should, let me rephrase it. We can run away. But we cannot run away and fulfill our calling. If we're going to be the salt, we must stay in contact with those around us. We must be willing to go into places and address issues and help people that we might not like. I'll put it nicely. Now, as I was, as I've been contemplating life issues this month, um, it's, frankly, it's just quite depressing when you think about just the issue of abortion alone. When you think about the amount of bloodshed in our country since Roe v. Wade. When you think of the, of the amount of bloodshed in our country that will transpire this coming year if abortion continues. As it has for the past 40-something years. Maybe that's one reason so many pastors never talk about it. It's so depressing. But you know what? That's the reality we have to address. That's the corruption we're supposed to stop. And and, and that's just one issue. Abortion is one issue. We can think about The homeless, we can think about the poor, we can think about oppression in some of our minority communities, we can think about so many, we think about trafficking. Uh, Boy, it can get depressing. So let's just go to church and sing happy songs. Okay, let's go to church and sing happy songs. What do you say? Let's just go to church and act like none of that exists. And unfortunately, that's what many church services are like it's a camp meeting. Let's all go to camp. So I'll be happy. So I'll sing about God's love and all this awesome stuff and forget that uh, people all around us are hurting. Women are destroying their, their unborn children because they feel abandoned by uh, boyfriends and parents. And Let's forget about the people that have nowhere to sleep tonight. Let's forget about all that and be happy because we have Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but... When you put it that way, it sounds pretty selfish, doesn't it? Because when we sing about the great love of God, that is a love that is not just for us. It is a love that is to be channeled through us. Through us, to those around us, to our church community, to our family, to our broader community, the love of God that he has put in his people is given to them that it might flow through them. Because we are the salt of the earth. But we're also the light of the world. Light means many things in Scripture. Life, salvation, ministry, health, warmth. Light is good. It's, it's always good in Scripture. It speaks of beauty, usefulness, holiness, wisdom, knowledge. Light is good. And Jesus here says that we are the light of the world. This is a, a striking because Jesus, in the book of John, says that he is the light of the world. Yet he shares that title with his people that we are the light of the world. Um, look at John. Go to John for a moment in chapter 8. or after, uh, Yeah, chapter 8. Where Jesus says this. You think, well, how can I be the light of the world if Jesus is the light of the world? In John 8, Jesus says, and this is right after the, the, uh, the account of the woman taken in adultery. And I know if you have a study Bible, you have footnotes about this text is bracketed, and we're not sure if it's really genuine and all that. I wish I had time to dig into that. I think it's genuine. I mean, I think Jesus uh, referred to himself as the light specifically applies to that whole incident. He says in verse 12, he says, Then Jesus spoke to them, again saying, I am the light of the world. But notice this, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. He will have the light of life. The way that the church can be, and not only can be, but is the light of the world, even though Jesus is the light of the world, is because by following Jesus, we now have the light of life in us. We have it. Because we are in Him, and He, the light of the world, is in us. And so we become like Him. And so Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world, Only because He dwells in His people. He's he's revealed through His people. So He's the source, right? Of the light. We're not the source. He's the source. We are merely the channel. The conduit, if you will. And when Jesus says that we're the light of the world, He tells us, number one, that this light is not to be hidden. Go back to Matthew and Jesus says, verse 14, You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, can you imagine if you went to somebody's house, they invite you over for dinner, and and, and uh, the house was really dark. You're like, what's the deal? Well, the Piper's home, if you go. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Tom, just kidding. You, you go to their home, and the house is really dark. And you're like, and you look around. And it's like, there's no lamps anywhere. And then, 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 your host hostess says, "Oh, I want to show you this new lamp I got for Christmas." Okay, where is it? Uh, it's under the couch. <laughs> I have a matching. It's a matching pair, and I put the other one here on, under the under the, the recliner. Oh, okay. Problem. No, you put the lamp out so it can give light. Right? Jesus said a, ha- a, a lamp should not be hidden. It's contrary to its very definition, its very function. The, all my lamps are out where you can see them. But the lamp isn't the focus. The lamp gives light so other things can be seen. It's a contradiction in terms to think of a hidden lamp. It's contrary to God's intention for His people. So we are to be shining light so that men can see. Men can see. You know the light doesn't shine for itself. Now I don't know about you, but I I've been here for a couple hours this morning, and I never really once looked up at the lights because they're not the focus. They give light so everything else can be seen. Which means the light doesn't shine for itself. It shines for the benefit of others. That other things may be seen. So we, being the light, are not an end in ourselves. The church does not exist for itself. The church exists to be light in a dark world. And just like the salt, the light doesn't do any good if it doesn't go where it's dark. In order to truly be the light of the world, we have to go into those dark places. We have to deal with the dark subjects of life and death. Last thing I want to say, and I can say a whole lot on this text, is this. If the light's going to shine... If we are going to be the light of the world, then we have to be energized by the light of the world. Jesus said, the salt, if it loses its flavor, it's good for nothing, and men throw it out. And you know what? If the church of Christ is not in communion with Jesus Christ, it will not shine. It just won't. It will be dim. It will be like the world. And instead of changing the world, instead of impacting the world, instead of shining its light on the darkness of the world, it will be conformed to the world. We are not the answer to anything. Jesus is the answer. Yeah. Amen? But we have Jesus. And as the church walks with Jesus, as, as the church communes with Jesus, then it shines. Then it shines. We never ever get to a place in the Christian life where all of a sudden we don't need to fellowship with Jesus Christ. We never get to the place where we don't need to pray or read our Bible or meditate or study. We never get to that place where we don't need to be personally devoted to Jesus Christ. Because if we ever get to that place where we're not communing with him, then we'll cease to be light. Because the power is not inherent in us. It's in our Savior, Jesus Christ, the true light of the world. Amen? Amen. So how can we be salt and light? Well, there's many, many ways. And, and today we're going to have a few people share with us what they are doing. And, of course, uh, provide opportunities for us if we want to join them in being salt and being light. But I'd like to pray over the word first, and then I'll introduce our guest speakers. Lord, we thank you that you have condescended to um, give your church a commission and a calling, and a very exalted one at that, one that we share with you of being the light of the world. I pray, Lord, that each of us individually would embrace that calling, that we would understand that you have things for us to do for you in the kingdom. There is no useless member, but every member of your body is called to be light, and you have something for each of us to do to be a witness and a testimony for you. We pray, Lord, that We would truly be a people that commune with you, fellowship with you, that we might reflect you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.